Hello, or rather, good morning. It's 9.25 on a beautiful summer's day in West Sussex. I'm in Zog's 944 Turbo. Zog's driving. Car sounds good, Z. It does, doesn't it? We're doing about 28 miles per hour in a long queue of very slow-moving traffic, which is ironic, because we're on our way to the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, henceforth known as Gareth Jones on Goodwood Festival of Speed. Let's be clear about this. Hiya, I'm Gareth. I've already lost Zog. He's down the other end of this row of parked cars. We're not even properly in the festival yet. We've just arrived and you have to walk through what they call the supercar paddock. Sounds great. Supercar paddock. They line up all the best cars. But if I tell you what's in the supercar paddock, this isn't a bad start. Here we go. I'm going to walk down this line of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 cars. And it goes like this. KTM Crossbow. Ferrari, what do they call it? The GTO. McLaren P1 in that lovely burnt ochre. Aston Martin DBS. TVR Chimera. Another orange on this occasion. McLaren a Ferrari 430. An Aston Martin Vantage Convertible. A Porsche 911 GT3 or two. In fact, two of them. That's the entire row. GT3 RSs they're lovely and that's only the first part the paddock itself proper is adjacent to me here and I am surrounded by a field of everything you name it it's here from nice old 911 turbo Targus and two more McLarens I think all the McLarens in the world are probably here today I can see Audi R8s in the plural I can see a Koenigsegg and they're just parked and they're going to go up that hill. And not only will we see them, but best of all, we'll hear them. Let's see uh, what's caught Zog's eye here. Hey, Zogo. You got a favourite in that yeah. row? I'm trying to decide which colour I prefer the McLaren in. <laughs> I'm not sure that's an important issue. You'd just have one, wouldn't you? Even I if it was would. pink with brown spots, you'd have it, wouldn't you? Although, you know, the GT3 RS is kind of tempting as well. That's got yeah. you written all over it, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, and that orange. Oh, yeah, I, could, so, I, could, I could go for that. Look what I've seen over here. Look, look, look. This is the Jag XJ220. Ooh. Oh, I wish oh, I wish Richard were here to see this. In the past. Yeah, we've got two Koenigseggs. Koenigseggen? Is that the plural uh, of Koenigseggs? Koenigseggs. Just to speak in English. Look at that. I'm going to go and just have a good think about the Jag 220. Tom Walkinshaw's finest moment, I think it's fair to say. Always been fond of this car. Saw one in a little village in North Wales a very long time ago, and it took up most of the village. I've seen this car loads of times, but every time you look at it, it's just... Proper pudding, isn't it? Yeah, I think I might have actually been passed by this car near Milton Keynes about ten years ago. Two twenty VAN um, is the registration. Yeah, it was certainly this colour, and it's still so low, flattened. It's like it's yeah, like a giant hand has just squashed it down into the ground. That little bit more just made it yeah. spread out that little bit further towards each corner. The size of the panel gaps around the headlamps there. Look how narrow they are on that side. Now huge they are on the bonnet side, and the line along the bonnet here. 
nice and narrow there. You can get your arm in that side. Brilliant. Yeah, British actually, quality. Well, is it my imagination, or is the gap on the right-hand side a little bit more than the gap on the left? Absolutely, is, by some significant margin. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad, glad it's not just me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, let's go and see some cars moving. That's what it's all about. Jones on speed. Yes. Sounds dodgy. Uh, we're a dodgy <laughs> lot. This is Zog, by the way, my co-presenter, or one hi, of them on the team. Hi, hi, hi. One of the great things about the Goodwood Festival of Speed is you get access to people who pilot these cars. And when you get over a certain speed, I think it's piloting rather yes, than sorry, driving. Yes, yes. And the chap I'm standing next to now goes faster than anyone else in an electric car. Lord Drayson, how wonderful to meet you, sir. Good to meet you. Great uh, to be on your show. And congratulations with the success of your land speed record. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, The car's looking... in front of us here now. Yep. How much is your technology on this car and how much is what you've got from Lola? Well, it's an original Lola chassis, actually the chassis we ran in the Le Mans 24 hours in 2010, which has been converted to run on a pure 100% electric drive and all of that electric drive technology is developed by us at Drayson Racing Technologies working with our partners like Cosworth, Multimatic and Qualcomm to create what is now officially the world's fastest electric car under 1,000 kilos. The whole idea behind this project is to show how fast and far electric car technology has come mm-hmm. and to really dispel the myth that's out there that electric cars are slow and boring. This is very fast, like 150 miles an hour in 8.6 seconds from a standing start. It does over 220 miles an hour top speed. And it's an incredibly exciting car to drive. Wasn't the first car ever to set the land speed record an electric car? It was, the Germain Canton. Your history is absolutely right. And you know, back in the day, it wasn't clear whether the internal combustion engine or steam or electric was going to win out as the leading technology. They were all sort of neck and neck for a period. As we know, the internal combustion engine has become ubiquitous but we're coming to the end of that period now Mm -hmm. i think there's a recognition particularly because of air pollution although climate change is a major concern the fact that we're seeing really quite serious health problems with people living in cities because of the pollution produced by cars trucks and so forth we've really got to find a better way the answer to it is drivetrains that are clean Mm -hmm. and that's why the government advanced yesterday a huge investment a billion pounds in the development of new advanced propulsion systems like electric drives hybrids and so forth and you'll benefit directly from that will Will you get some of that do you apply for it we certainly compete for it it's an open Mm. competition and we'll be competing like all of the other companies in the field but i think what it shows is there's a recognition that the uk is a world leader in this Mm -hmm. this is an area of technology that's going to be part of the future of the car industry we're seeing a real renaissance in the british car industry at the moment and the way in which the R&D that's come out of our universities, the science base that we've developed, is really now coming onto the cars, which you're starting to see on track and we'll soon be seeing on the road. What would you say are the two most significant advances? Is it the magnets in motors and the way that we're storing electricity? It's battery technology. I would say it's, well, actually I'd say it's three things. You're absolutely right. It's the battery chemistry. It's the the energy density and the power density that you can achieve with the battery cells. It's designing motors which enable you to run at very high RPM for a considerable period of time without overheating. So it's the engineering of motors. And it's thirdly, the charging system. We're seeing a lot of innovation with the charging system. We're developing a wireless charging like your electric toothbrush. 
and will be fitting to this car, which is wirelessly charged at the moment, a dynamic system next year, so the car can be charged as it's moving. That then frees the car from the constraints of the battery technology and enables you to charge it while it's running. And you know what you've done in doing that? You've reinvented Scalextric for big boys, haven't you? That's absolutely right. Non-contact Scalextric. Yes, it's uh, life's work to uh, to get (laughs) back to Scalextric. There was an age in world history, specifically Britain's history, where we took on enormous engineering projects such as laying out a rail network all over the country. You know, we put out put in new infrastructure and in doing that we became world leaders. We exported our ability to do that around the world. In order to make electric cars viable for everyone at every level, the best way to do that you could argue would be to take a huge leap like that again and put in contactless charging strips. I right around agree. the UK. Yeah, I quite How agree. practical is that well, in it this is, age? It though? is practical. But the brilliant thing is, is that motorsport is the way to actually develop and prove that technology. You see, because within a motor race, you've got a controlled environment and enables you to install that into the track, to show the cars running, charged wirelessly. And that gives people confidence that if they roll it out into a city, it will work. Mm. And that's what motorsport has to do. You know, motorsport has to be part of the solution to these challenges rather than being seen as part of the problem. We need to use motorsport to accelerate the rate of development of the technologies and to showcase what the potential of the future is, to give people confidence in a sort of an optimistic future of using this technology. Which in the dawn of the motor car is what motorsport did. All the advances in motorsport in its early days has led to these sort of things absolutely today. right yeah. now listen are you going up the hill in this today are you driving Johnny's driving it today so we're going to be that's Johnny Cocker Johnny Cocker yep. yep who I've raced with now for a number of years he's going to be piloting the Drayson Racing B12 electric car today you'll see that the people from Sky are fitting an on-board camera so that you'll be able to watch him live during the shootout well, so we're, we're aiming to beat the petrol cars so uh, no pressure you know any idea what your forecasted time could be? No, I'm not going to give you a number, but it's definitely going to begin with a four. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other electric cars. Is there a Formula E car running today no, as there well? Isn't, no, there isn't. No, so no Formula E car. You'll be the fastest electric car this weekend? We already are, I think. Yeah? yeah. We, well, we hold the record at the moment. We beat our time yesterday. So currently, unless something very surprising happens, we will be the fastest electric car. But we want to go beyond that now. It's not just about being the fastest electric car. We are the world's fastest electric yeah, car. we've done that. It's about being the fastest car now. It's about yeah. taking on the internal combustion engine. Hey, it's a show I'm going to watch okay. every right. second of. Okay. Uh, Lord Racing, Paul, Good lovely to, to meet you. you. Thank you. All Good right. luck. Thanks. Gareth Jones on speed at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Mmm, speedy! That's a nice sound, isn't it? We're standing behind uh, what I think is a Porsche 962 in martini colours. A flat 12. What a sound. Sog will know about this. He's struggling with his camera at the moment. Oh, and there she was gone. So, that's a flat 12, isn't it? Yeah. Is this a 962? That's a 917. Sorry, 917. I should know better, shouldn't I? See, always defer to Zog when talking Porsche. As you wander around the paddock, some cars are on display, 
some cars are missing because they're already out on the track but best of all you've got some cars being fettled being prepared to go and to hear a 917 woofing like that it was woofing wasn't it woof I just wish I could have got the video camera out and running about five seconds earlier because they shut the engine down just as I got the lens trained on the exhaust and <laughs> was hitting record you'd have made that your animated gif on the internet wouldn't you yeah we could have done something with that as Zog and I were walking around the paddock admiring the Le Mans cars, we recognised a particular small, lisping, bearded driver standing next to the rebellion Lola. So I took the opportunity to have a chat with him. Nick Heidfeld, you're still the king of this hill, aren't you? Not the king, I just said the quickest time. I think that makes you officially elected. King of uh, Goodwood Hill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, great to see you at Le Mans recently as well with Neil Yarny. I know Neil and I know how good he is. All right. How difficult was it to match what he does in this car? Well, he's a good baseline because he's been in the car for quite a while and I think we have a great team of drivers with uh, Nico Post as well, Neil Gianni and myself. It's a good trio, you know, in endurance racing. It's not about one driver. I think we have a good lineup. You need to get on it. I'm happy with what we do together. Is it a different culture then to F1? There's a lot more sharing of data and actually working as a team, whereas in F1 you're two teams within a team very often, aren't you? Well, yeah, in F1 it's quite extreme. Obviously there's one driver per car and that already makes a huge difference. And there are a lot of politics in F1, which I didn't like, many people don't like, but you have to live with it. And that's a bit different in, in sports cars. I hope now that when it gets more professional, it will stay that way. It's still really relaxed, but the cars are fantastic. What I like about them is that there's still a lot of downforce, and that makes it so much fun. Now, how many different F1 teams did you drive for? Five? Uh, You drove a Prost, you drove a Jordan, you drove a Williams, you drove a Sauber, of course, and... And Lotus. Lotus, of course. Well, BMW was Sauber. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and testing for McLaren, obviously. Yeah, and of all of those cars in F1 you drove, which was the one that you have the greatest affection for? Tell me it was the Jordan, because you drove for free. Is that true? You drove for Jordan for free? No. No? (laughs) That's a great rumour, though, isn't it? You've heard that. No, I haven't heard that. Oh, really? The other question is if you always pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of drivers ended up driving for Eddie Jordan for free. He never actually paid anyone. So of all the cars you drove, do you have a favourite in F1? I did like the 2007 season and car because it really suited my style. I like the looks of the 2008 cars the most, yeah. but probably the best F1 car I ever drove compared to competition was the McLaren 99 car. And is that the car that you put up the hill here and gained the best time? Is that the 98? That's the 98 car, yeah. Right. I'm not 100% sure if it was the 98 or the 99 car that I drove back then. It's many years ago, but I think it was the 99 car. Nick, it's tremendous to meet you. Great to have you racing F1 and superb to have you in the world's greatest motor racing series these days. Thank you very Thank much you indeed. Much. Farewell. That's a sweet sound, isn't it? We're installed at one of the first corners on the hill climb and we're watching some of the motorbikes go past at the moment. What's this? I don't know these old bikes. That's a 250, that's all I know. These are guys wearing proper black leather riding a classic motorbike and the unique John Surtees just went by on a Norton a few minutes ago unique because as you know he's the only man to win the world championship on two and four wheels 
and he's a lovely guy. He used to work on A1 Grand Prix. What's this? A nice old Augusta from the uh, late 60s, I'd say. Oh, that sounds sweet. John Surtees was on A1 GP with Team A1 GBR, the British team. And he was a great pleasure to hang out with because you asked him one simple question and he would talk for anything up to 25 minutes. What a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's still riding. I don't know how old he is now. In his 80s, John Surtees? Do we know exactly how old he is, Zog? I don't know, but yeah, he must be in his 80s. And still riding. Good lad. Oh, a nice couple of Hondas just went by from the 70s. Sweet. Just as we're leaving the hospitality stand at the end of the avenue before the first corner to go off and do an interview for something you'll see soon in Gareth Jones on Speed, we heard the sound of an F1 car. Listen, here comes Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes F1 car. Here it is. doing donuts. Lewis is doing donuts on the way up the hill and is getting a riotous round of applause. You can see arms waving in the distance. We still love him. Of course we do. He's Lewis. A little later when we were eating our lunch in the Mercedes-Benz hospitality suite, David Croft walked in with the main course or rather the main man himself, Lewis Hamilton and proceeded to interview Lewis immediately in front of us for the assembled guests. Cheers for coming over, mate. How was your run up the hill? It was good. It was good. It was more fun than, than usual. <laughs> a few donuts? Yeah, a few donuts. There's not that much space to do donuts up here, but I try to do as many as I can. I get the feeling that you would quite like it if donuts were compulsory at the end of a Grand Prix and give a bit of entertainment back to the fans every Sunday. I would love to, yeah. It's, it's so much fun when you do them, but... Um, at the end of every Grand Prix, you have to save your gearbox and you have to save your engine. You don't have that much fuel left in the car, so you're not able to do anything. So. You did it once at Silverstone. The place went absolutely Yeah, nuts. I loved it, but I got in trouble. Well, I think, I finished, I, think I, I finished really far behind, so I didn't really care if my gearbox broke. It start last in the next race anyways. So. You, you weren't going to wreck that car any more than it deserved, quite frankly, that year. How's this year going, though? It's not bad so far. It's going pretty good. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. Obviously... Proud to be with the Mercedes team. Obviously, doing they're doing an incredible job, and we're grateful that the car is competitive this year, and we can do something special with it. You know, Nico's had a couple of really good results, waiting for mine to come. You know, waiting for these tyres to work one weekend for me, and uh, fingers crossed that'll be the next race. You talked a lot about the decision to come and join Mercedes. I, I was convinced that you were going to go. And that of you've... course you are. No, I was, seriously. Of course you are. No, I said, I don't know where he's going, but I'm convinced he wants to go somewhere. Because yeah. I think you just had it in your mind that it was time to strike out and do something different and be somewhere different and prove how good you are by doing what you did at McLaren somewhere else as well. Yeah, that's... There's um, tons of reasons why I wanted to try something new. I had a great experience. Yeah, but I just wanted to do something different and, and try something new. And there's so many people in the team, you know, meeting new people and using your skills to, I'm sure all of you have done that in whatever businesses you're in. And I wanted to do that in mine. I've been a 
a part of my parents since I was 13, so I was very much under the, you know, it was like being at home, you know, and, and when you leave home, you get that next step of independence, and that's the kind of feeling I wanted. How scared were you when you first met Ross Braun? Because he's a lovely, gentle, cuddly, intimidating man, isn't he? No, I think no? Once, you've, once you've met Ron, <laughs> meeting anyone else is easy. So, I met Ron when I was 10, and I signed my first contract with him when I was 13. And I was trying to be all cool, but I was really nervous. And then I signed my real contract with him when I was 22. But then with Ross, it was easy. You know, he's warm, it's like a teddy bear, you know. And he's a really good guy. And it was just, it was really cool to sit with him and to see the plans of the team, the direction that they were going. And he was really the one that gave me the belief that the team was going somewhere. And how much did 2014 play in your decision as well? Because I asked you this in the Monza press conference. What was the defining factor in changing teams? You said it's not about money. It's about wanting to win. So with the engine changes for next year, I don't know how much you guys know about next year. It's going to change a lot. How much was that a deciding factor? That was a big, a big player, you know, because, I mean, there's the manufacturers, Renault, Ferrari and Mercedes, you know, maybe there's more coming in. Who knows? I think Honda's coming in yeah. soon. But, yeah, the engine's going to change massively next year, and the engine's such a large part of the game, and Mercedes doesn't know how to lose. You know, the brand is just incredible. They've got an exceptional history and heritage, and they told me they were here to win, and they wanted to win. And I just wanted to be a part of that journey, you know, and we're already starting on a good foot. We're really confident. I guess that was taken through the design of the next year's car and engine, and I feel really optimistic about it and hopefully we'll have an even more competitive car next year. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Uh, we've got a few friends here today. Um, I'm asking questions all the time, and you're probably fed up with me asking you questions. So would anyone like to ask yeah. a question here? Hi. This, this, this man has been Hi. thinking about this for a while. Hi. What's your name, sir? Uh, my name is Ivan. I'd like to ask Luis two questions. One is, I admired your guts when you spoke to Dennis at the age of, was it 12 or 13? 10. Ten, when you said, I'll drive you one day, or what exact words you used? I will drive for you one day, or I'll be... I, I don't really remember the exact words I said. I think it was something like, you know, I said I'm a go-karter and I'm a British champion, and one day I want to race in your car, I'll be world champion or something like that. So. Ah, right, okay. Second, what was the second question? The second question is, how do you manage to beat the dress code rule? I was told... Uh, yeah, no. you, you were told to wear rubbish socks with brown shoes. <laughs> No jeans allowed and no, no uh, trainers. Uh, How'd well, you get in looking like that, well, I think, is the question. Well, champion to actually be able to dress like you. <laughs> I think you just don't have to give a damn. <laughs> no. I, I, no one told me about the dress code. That's all right, they didn't tell me either, mate. Don't worry about it. This man, hello, Gareth. How are you, mate? How are you, mate? Good. Lewis, how are you? Can I ask you, what is the one question? Because everyone asks you, why did you leave McLaren? Why did you go to Mercedes? There must be other questions that you would rather be asked. What is the one question that you never get asked that you'd love to be asked? Interesting. <laughs> what is it we miss? I what don't actually want to be asked any questions. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to drive. Um, yeah, people ask me questions all the time, and, and sometimes it's repetitive, and you're just trying to change the way you say it each time, especially when you come out of the car and you have tons of interviews to do. I don't know. I can't really think of one. How's Roscoe? Roscoe. Everyone asks about Roscoe, so it's, it's not, nothing new. Yeah, you've you done well with that. The British media would have nothing to write about if it wasn't for your dog this year. Yeah. Well, he was a distraction to me at one point, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> My dog's a distraction. That's incredible. That's how little they think of me. Uh, are we have a question over here at all? This man here. 
This isn't so much a, a question as an observation, Lewis. Um, we've all watched you get to this real Mount Olympus in your career, and I think all of us have been amazed how approachable, accessible, friendly, and normal you are. And you seem strangely unchanged by all the F1 hoopla. How difficult has that been? Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. You just stay close to your roots, and you know, my family are, are the, the ones that got me here. And of course, things change. You know, I, I never in a million years thought that I would have the money in the bank that I have in the, you know. I never in a million years would think that I have more than one car. I never would have thought that I would have a following that I do. But hopefully I feel that my family instilled good values in me and, you know, I've got really good people. I try to keep really good people around me, you know. I choose the people that I mix with very carefully. And my parents, as I said, always keep my... I was with them last night and they always play me keep my feet on the ground so I appreciate it do you manage to find a, a quiet place where you can just be yourself or are you always in the public eye these days no I, I generally often get to be in a quiet place but you know you, you just never know when there's a, a camera around the corner or you know the other day I went out with some friends and, then, and there was a camera just in the corner of my eye so but you just have to get used to it and you just have to make sure you're not putting any funny faces when you do get snapped. <laughs> I can't believe I'm 28 now, I'm already halfway through my career, but I'm just trying to enjoy every moment because I'm living the dream for so many young kids and people and I just want to make the most of it. Question for this person here. What's your name? Sam. Sam, what would you like to ask Lewis? He's right over there. Well... See, your mum was pointing like you had a question. What's the fastest you've ever driven, was the question first. And what else did you want to know? Um, that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> I think the fastest I ever drove was, I did 365 kilometres an hour, which I think is, what is that? Is it 230 miles an hour? No, no, no. 235 or something. But that wasn't on the track, that was on the runway. Well, in Formula 1 we do different tests. We have straight line testing, which I did before I got to Formula 1, which is great fun when you first do it, and afterwards it gets really boring. You just go up and down, up and down, and up and down, and it gets quite tedious, but flat out, you know, for as long as you can. Because eventually the car has so much drag, so eventually it, it, it reaches its limit and it can't go any faster, but yeah, 365 kilometers an hour, which is pretty good fun. What was it like in the Red Arrows plane? Because that would have been a bit faster. Yeah, but you don't realize you're going fast because obviously when you're up in the sky, you're not next to the ground, you can't see things flying past yourself. It was quite exhilarating, but when you take off, it's, it's quite slow, it's like a normal plane. Obviously when you're changing direction and those kind of things and the pulling vertical g-force you have, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Did you nearly throw up? Not while I was flying, but we were up for like 35, 40 minutes, and when I got down, I felt so ill. <laughs> I felt really ill. And then I had to get straight into a Formula 1 car to do the race with the arrows on the runway. I just felt ill the whole time. That took me a long time to come away. It was like seasickness. No good. This man has a question. Hi Lewis, I'm Peter from Germany. I would like to know which car do you drive in real life, and which car would you prefer to drive in real life? <laughs> I get asked that question all the time, and I'm with Mercedes AMG right now, so no. I, have, I have an SLS, and I'm waiting for an SLS Black Series. I have an SL Black Series, which is, is one of my favorite cars. I don't really drive it a lot, you know, I try to keep the, the mileage really low, as I do with all my cars. But, is that makeup? Uh, possibly, yeah. yeah. It, that's, that's certainly the MP413, isn't it? Yeah. My favorite car, I have a Honda Pagani, yeah, but it has an AMG engine in it. 
So I can always that, mention that. That saves you. Yeah, that saves me. So it's incredible. It's my favourite engine. Are you a collector of cars? I am trying to collect them. I was speaking to Jamiroquai the other day. I thought I had a lot of cars. I, I know I have like 10 cars. Not 10 amazing cars. You know, I have some other smaller cars. But you know, I have probably five really classic cars. And he has 72. So I was like, geez, how the hell do you... He's like, oh, well, I've got about 50 at home. I'm like, where do you put 50 cars? Because I'm struggling to put the ones that I have in places, so I can't even imagine, but he's a lot older than me, so I've got some time to catch up. This is why you want to get into the music business, then, so you can get some more cars. I don't think there's any money to be made in music, so really? that's, not, that's not really the reason. <laughs> Ask Jamiro Quiet. Well, I, yeah, unless you're Jamiro Quiet, yeah, yeah, of course. They've got a few. One more question, if we've got one. Hi, Sasha from Germany. What do you think about the auction yesterday with the Silver Arrow? I don't think much about it, to be honest. It went for a ridiculous amount of money. The guy that bought it obviously has more money than sense. And, um, I mean, the thing is, you can't drive that car. I think Nico drove it. I think Nico drove. Was it that car that Nico drove the other day? We both no, drove. I'm not sure it was. It was one of the cars, one of the same cars. Oh, was it? It was. Was it that actual car? This, this was the one night, the W196 that won Germany and Switzerland, I think, in 54. I think off the top of my head. It's a lot of money. You know better than me. But, I mean, the car is incredible, but, I mean, jeez, it's a huge amount of money. To, but it's, you know, it's a classic, so... 19 and a half million pounds. Anyone here buy it at all? Because I know we're amongst some wealthy people here today. No, sadly not. So, for the rest of this year, you're on the verge, aren't you, of getting that first win for you as a Mercedes driver. It's going to come, surely. Can't keep getting pole and the wind slip away from you. Absolutely, I hope so. You know, the team is doing incredible and as I said, Nico's already had two wins and the team, you know, they're constantly improving the car. They brought these rules out in 2009 for this car and it's been evolving every year but it's generally been the same kind of car since then and so we're at the end of the evolution cycle of this car but the great thing is this one just keeps getting better and better and I hope that we get to a point that we go past everyone else and the biggest problem obviously is the tyres as everyone knows and it's the science that no one seems to be able to fully understand you know some races you know Silverstone the tyres are great and we were ahead of us pulling away from Vettel then you go to the next race and he pulls away from me half a second so it's very very strange but I hope when they bring some new tyres at the next race I hope that it works in our favour for once How frustrating is that that there's often something totally out of your hands and out of your control that stops you fulfilling the potential that you've got, be it tyres or be it a lack of downforce or whatever. Is that just part and parcel of being a driver or is it immensely it does, frustrating? It's, it's, it is very frustrating because it doesn't matter whether you're, you're at your best. You know, I was commenting recently about you know, like tennis you know, or golf. When you're at your best, you know, you're able to compete right at the top. You don't have something that can let you down, really. Generally, clubs or your racket don't really let you down. But in Formula 1, you're at your best, and in your best state of mind, your car can play such a huge role, you know, obviously your team as well, so it's just a different kind of time. There's been times where we've been at the front, or we've had a car to compete, but a tyre blows up or something. I've had a lot of tyres blow up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anyone else has had as many tyres blow up. Well, Nigel Manson would probably say he only had far more, but he didn't. Oh, yeah. That's because he's around a lot on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> but I just hope that good things come to those away, so I just keep on working. But I'm grateful. I've earned 29 pole positions. I'm really grateful to have had that many. It's incredible for me. I never even thought I'd ever have one. So proud of every single one that I get. And uh, I want to catch Sebastian, for sure. 
he knows that so many wins he's at the car to walk away with it every year but I hope that next year we have an answer for him I'm sure you will ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for your contribution today I give you once again Lewis Hamilton From the hushed tones of Lewis Hamilton, we return to the track action with a, a dragster, I think it's sort of a late 60s Plymouth that was, which took about three inches to get the front wheel off the ground. It's got those two casters at the rear that stop it from turning over. That was a real snort. There's been a few dragsters going past here at the moment, and my gosh, they make a lot of noise. But also here now, Richard Porter. Hey, Richard. Hello. Where you been? Where have I been? Oh, I've been all over, but mostly just sitting over there watching things go by. I had a bit of a sensory overload because there was the Vulcan bomber in the sky, which I adore. Possibly my favourite plane ever. And also as a man from Cheshire, you know, local produce. So I enjoyed that. Sadly, I think it's the last year it's going to be flying, isn't it? Yeah, they're running out of funding or they can't rebuild it anymore. They can't rebuild it anymore. They've harvested so many parts from other old ones that are gate guardians and things, and this is probably it now. So that was glorious. But then there were supercars and things going up at the same time I just didn't know where to look yeah yeah it's ridiculous it's a trouble being here you don't know where to look first you know because you turn around you could be standing next to Quentin Wilson you look on the circuit <laughs> you? Really? yeah really I did it with Quentin Wilson last did night you? Oh, yeah right. I, said, I said hello from you yes I know I know you did I know, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we had a right good laugh yeah he told me uh, he told me a great thing about D-types there's a problem with D-types at the moment because they're all sort of swapping chassis numbers and engine plates yeah. or something there were something like 116 D-types built originally and there are only 200 still running today <laughs> great line is this like all the people you know that famous thing about the Cray twins and when they killed Jack the Hat in the Blind Beggar pub in East London and someone said if all the Cockneys who claimed to be in the pub that night were really there the pub would be the size of Wembley Stadium <laughs> What's the best thing you've seen today going up the hill then? Have oh you seen the cars Lord. going up the hill properly? Yeah, quite a few. A few things stand out. The McLaren P1 came round a hell of a lick, but incredibly flat and smooth. It just looked extraordinary. Yeah, well, it just looked computer generated. So that very was tidy. Yeah, very tidy. Yeah. Neat. No dust on it. Yeah, uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was rontastic in its precision. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Have you seen that Jaguar concept that's basically a sort of F-type speedster inspired Project by 7? Project 7? yeah. And uh, I enjoyed seeing that just because it was driven by their test driver, Mike Cross, who is incapable of driving in a straight line. <laughs> so it was just <laughs> completely sideways. That's always a joy. So that's well, effectively an F-type reimagined as a D-type, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because I like the low-cut speedster windscreen on it. I mean, obviously, it's just a flight of fancy, but it also comes, I noticed, with a matching crash helmet. The crash yeah. helmet's the same colour as the car with a number seven on it. It looks quite nice. But other stuff, there's so much standing there, and you're seeing James Hunt's McLaren go past and mm. followed by Senna's McLaren. Mm. And Bruce McLaren's brilliant orange Can-Am car, you know, that yeah. glorious stubby Which little Jensen thing. drove today. Was he in that? Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Well, that's fantastic. But they're making a lot of the McLaren 50 years thing that's going mm. on this year here. Yeah, there's a tremendous turnout from McLaren's history. Yeah, there is. And also, of course, the Porsche thing. Porsche yeah. 911, 50, 50 years, years. off. And that sculpture outside the house. Beautiful. It's great. 
How tall is it? Do you know actually how tall it is? In- oh, is it probably about ten feet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just being flippant because I don't know. It's really tall. Well, we- if you haven't seen it, it's got three nine elevens. It's got a very original, what I suppose purists would call a nine nine one, and then it's got a two point seven. RS in yeah. the middle, and then it has a modern Carrera. It's over your shoulder yeah, now. You can, you can see, see it from it miles away, can't you? Reaching right. way above the. I like it's the simplicity of it. That's the thing. It's just it's yeah. not too fancy. It's just three lovely cars on inverted V-shaped. And that's quite something. When you're in a place with such wonders to see, the fact that a bit of sculpture can impress you is, is, is great as well. Yeah. Do you know what? You get a different clientele here. Compared to what? Like a com- Megadeth concert? Yeah. <laughs> Well, compared to, let's say, Le Mans mm. or Silverstone, which is very male, isn't it? It's very uh, hard. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. It is a bit more refined. There are more long trousers than shorts. Look and at me, look. I'm, I'm wearing... I made a bit of a wardrobe error. I'm wearing black jeans. Big mistake. I have got very hot legs, I'll be yeah, honest with you. I, that, so I've heard. Jules tells me you've got hot legs as well. <laughs> hot legs? Yes. But there are lots of women here, which is fantastic. Yes, it's true. You it's know, you point. can enjoy the atmosphere. My favourite stand of all the trade stands, if you like, here, the manufacturer stands, the four stand which is just over there which if I can describe it for you it's like a multi-storey car park made out of Meccano it's a big open thing with rows and rows of they all look like STs they're not are they they look like Fiesta STs I can see a Cougar there but yeah Fiesta STs and uh, Focus STs on the top floor underneath the ST banner looks great I like that it's quite a yeah, it's piece. quite a sort of a striking bit of uh, industrial sort of looking stuff that's all very good yeah, there's a lot going on over there I think the sort of motor show side of this gets bigger and bigger every year this is certainly it bigger it feels like a motor show over there actually but outdoors yeah. and as luck would have it in beautiful weather which well hey where would you rather be you know the NEC or here well that depends whether I wanted to pay £12 for some really awful fish and chips and a small Pepsi. So, no, I'd rather not be at the NEC, thanks very much. No, it's all good over there, isn't it? We were looking around there earlier on, and I noticed we've got the VW XL1, that little car, which also drove up the hill. Uh, Did it? I yeah. missed that. And it's really small. Really it? small, yeah. It's a fascinating little car. I think it's one of my favourite cars around at the moment. We, we should go over and have another look at it in a bit, maybe. Well, you can see the stand from here. Yeah. But, yeah, everyone's really pulled out the stops. I mean, they're proper sort of like buildings now yeah. for all the big manufacturers to show off their stuff. Yeah. The festival's growing and growing every year. It's packed out this year. Have you walked through the moving motor show? No. It wasn't very moving for me. No, no, no. emotional connection no, for I you. I thought the plot was a bit, <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was a little bit calculated to try and make It's got it a cry. happy ending, though. It has got a happy ending. <laughs> but, oh, I tell you what, they have got over there, because it wasn't moving. Nothing was driving around. I guess they, they do that on Thursday and Friday, and we're, we're here Saturday now. So but what they have got, and I'm not being sarcastic, one of my favourite things I've seen all day, a matte black Dacia Duster. I like that idea. There's a great thing about this now. It's not just about going, bloody hell, there's James Hunt's Formula One car. It's about everything that we care about. It's sort of here in one place. And things that we find intriguing or interesting or make us go, ooh, it's all here. So (laughs) I think I'm going to take a room in Goodwood House and just live here for now. Is it like this all the time or only during the festival? No, no, honestly, Lord March, he just goes, I suppose I better let some other people look at this stuff. But this is every weekend for him. It's exhausting. Just in front of Goodwood House, 
they have a kind of exhibition which is dubbed the Cartier Style et Luxe exhibition. Almost a concours d'elegance, I suppose, because there are some incredible things here. Quite a few concept cars, including this 1970 Vauxhall SRV. Have you ever seen such an attractive Vauxhall, Richard? It's good, isn't it? I have seen this before in pictures, but never in real life. And it is your classic 70s concept car because it's really uh, edges wedgy yeah. and this was done when Vauxhall used to have a design studio in Luton and this was done there I think by Wayne Cherry by Wayne Cherry the who did all the GMs named, yeah I think who sort of who, who famously did the Calibra and things like that and yeah. it became GM's overall styling boss in America and might still be, I don't know. But this um, thing, the inspiration for this could have come straight from Jerry Anderson. Yeah. Yes. Well, know, yeah. It could have come straight out of UFO. Yeah. Uh, or Logan's Run, although actually Logan's Run was, might even have been after this. What year was Logan's Run? Uh, was, 74, yeah, I would so guess. Actually, yeah, so this actually precedes Logan. Jerry Anderson, UFO era. Yeah, it could be Ed Straker's car. Uh, that's exactly yeah. what I was about to say. This is probably the closest to Ed Straker's car of anything that I've seen at an exhibition. Look at the amount of room between the seats, which are right in the middle of the car, and all that space to the gullwing doors. You could fit another two children in that <laughs> gap, couldn't you? Use them so as I your side protection. <laughs> Can I draw your attention to what's behind you, which is the Mercedes C? E111. Oh, um, still in the 70s. Look at well, this. Well, again, it's a 1970 car. Yeah. And it's great. I think this one, yeah, there we go. This one has got the four-rotor Wankel engine with 370 horsepower. When they realised that Wankel wasn't going anywhere because it used too much fuel around the time of the energy crisis, they started sticking diesel engines in these. They set loads of diesel engine records. But I think the story is that they were toying with making it and to this day, supposedly, Mercedes have a safe summer with the checks that they receive from people who just went, here's a blank cheque, I want one of those cars, really? let me know when it's ready. And they just hang Here on to them. 40 years yeah, later, still waiting. Yeah. Well, you know, if you want a car as exclusive as this, I'm sure some people are prepared to wait. Yeah, well, you know, it looks feasible still. Or <laughs> well, you could just buy an SLS, which, let's be honest, is the sort of modern equivalent. OK, I boys, how good yeah. is your car spotting here? I don't expect the answer to be accurate. There's a car in front of us here that is that a bit of Pininfarina? It's got a bit of a almost Jensen bubble back to it. Do we know what that is? I was no. going to say it's a Jensen that's either been modified or had a custom body put on it. It's not a Brasinka Urupuru, is it? The Brazilian car that the <laughs> Interceptor was inspired by with its bubble back. I wonder if it could be. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've no idea. It says Pininfarina on it. It's a Maserati. It's a Mazer. Oh, it's a Mistral. Mistral. 63 Mistral. that's weird because if you'd asked me to describe a Mistral, I wouldn't have described it like that. No. This looks too stubby. The wheelbase is too short. The proportions are not great, but there we go. Not paying attention. Changed it's before it became a road Car. Yeah, that's so, handsome. You maybe don't always see it from the side. That's the number of Mistrals I see in average day, I, I <laughs> just get used to yeah. them. And it's, it's but for a car from 1963, it. that's gone a bit of futurism about it. It's 70s about it for mm-hmm. a 60s car, yeah. hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Not quite so rounded. And look at this. I don't even know what this is again. What is that? A GT Strada 5300. 5300. It's not a Ferrari, is it? What no, is it? It's Pizzerini, sorry. Sarini Strada, we, we knew it was Italian, didn't we? It looked uh, blah, Italian. Blah, 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 reading the, the, the thing here. <laughs> and it is... Uh, the V12, rival to the Ferrari 250, or engineering. And the man responsible for the engineering of the 250, which we just saw go up the track, this was his car, Bizzarini. Nice. Yeah, he left Ferrari and then... This and then is this is his, now, this uh, is a pretty car. 
Zog, there's something with your name written all over it down there. Can you see that grey creature with the spine? Ooh, is it a Zog 5000? Oh, <laughs> there you go. I had a board especially, actually. <laughs> Let's go and see the Zog 5000, because that looks like your sort it's of a, thing, Zog. Yeah. What is it? We fight our way past the Ferrari 250 Europa Pininfarina, the Fiat Otto Rusgato. This incredible... Fiat with what looks like a rocket or a jet flux at the back. That looks like it's quite Dino-like in its appearance. What's this? That is a Fiat Turbina prototype, so it actually is a gas turbine. Yeah. Hence the huge exhaust. There's something racing up the hill today that has a gas turbine as well, and I forget who's made that, but it makes a very exciting noise. Mm. Let's go and see. Look, because this is very Zog, I think... Which one is it, Zog? It's a Bugatti. Do you know where it is? It's a 57. Zog. 57S Atlantic. The thing that's most striking about it is the seam that goes you know, yeah. all the way over the roof and along the bonnet. It bisects the car along the middle. If you can imagine, you know... A car of It two almost halves. looks like, you know, you've sort of taken a... And this, this, this is describing it in an unkind way because it is beautiful. It's like a model kit where you've sort of got... The flashing, where, where the, the moulding. Yeah, yeah, yeah where you, we've got flashing on the edge of the parts that are being joined together. And rear-hinged doors as well. Suicide doors is uh, yeah. weird now. Not, We're not allowed to call, to call them, them that, are we? Um, and, yeah, and it also has the same seam over the wheel arches. Which yeah. is, uh, you wouldn't get caught in a crash in that. That would slice you. you wouldn't, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, there's, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that modern bodywork rules mean if you were making a replica of this car today you wouldn't be able to do things like have the, you know, the exposed bits of wire that sort of poke out for the, the, wind um, the windscreen wipers, wipers yeah. and uh, you've got to and look at the rivets all the way down the seam the vertical fin that runs the length yeah. of the cabin that make it, there's something quite lizard like about mm. it because of those rivets on it it's uh, it gives it a slightly it, it's got the touch of, yeah it's got the touch of a I don't know a, a Doctor Who monster about yeah, it oh, that's you know true. what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. a silent didn't they have a spine down the middle? I think they may well have done. Possibly, yeah. yeah I yeah, think yeah. it evokes the Zeppelin about it, you know, that sort of riveting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What's the Silurian character in Doctor Who called these days? I can't Keith. Think, uh, Keith the Silurian. Keith the Silurian. Yeah, 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 yeah I don't yeah, know. No, I'm not no. sure. I know who uh, you mean. But, you, but you, know the, uh, you know the lady Silurian we're talking yeah. about. You know, you know, this would be a good ride for her. This would be a, this would, I think this car would suit it out of the ground. We're for choice here, aren't we? I'm just looking around at what else we can go and look at, and the answer is everything. 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 There's one... one last car we should do here. There's a brown thing over there, and as we know, brown is oh, a very a 70s thing. thing, and I'm always happy looking at futuristic cars from the 70s. It's the futuristic stuff that gets my attention. Concept cars, you know, a peak of the future as it looked like yes. in the past yeah, yeah, is yeah. a beautiful thing. Look at this, a Siblio. Bertoni Siblio. 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 Look at the font they've used for the massive badge on the back. And was None this... more 70s. It, well, it's a digital font. If you look yeah. at it, they've made up LEDs as they used to look like. And it has a, a, Dino looks engine. Like a Ferrari Dino engine in there. I thought... Yeah, so it's got I, a V6, transverse V6. It looks like a Citroen, doesn't it? It does, rather, yes. Let's go and have a look. It's I mean, very brown. It's very proper Making brown. With a, with a round no, opening porthole. windows. Wow. Yeah. Let's have a look inside, hang on. Oh, can you smell the brown? <laughs> God, I wish you could see the steering wheel, which isn't the steering wheel. It's like it's, you, you would have to try and steer this car by essentially hanging onto the end of a pipe that projects out of the dashboard with a flat end on it. So I don't know how you'd control it. 
that. Well, I think that your underpants would be the most brown thing in this car after trying to go. <laughs> <it forward. laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you see out of this? You're sitting so far back. It's a Lancia. It's a Bertone Lancia Siblio. Oh, this I... is interesting. Look at this. So it's 1978, and it was based around a spare Stratos chassis, uh, stretched by four it. inches, by Marcello Gandini. And when Gandini worked for Bertone, answering so, that great question. Uh, the, the windows are brown tinted, so there's no division between bodywork and glass again. And look at the wiper. The wiper is mounted on a horizontal rail. It sweeps left to right, not in an arc, but in a straight line across the windshield. It's scanning like a photocopier. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I have to confess, as a Lanchisti, I should have known that car. But it just tells you the quality and the depth of the cars here, that even people like us who are supposed to know about these things are going to come across cars that you just don't recognise. Like that insane thing over there. And that insane thing over there. And that, that insane, insane thing, thing yeah, over I, there. Yes, yeah, and those <laughs> insane things over there. And if we notice this here, this is a Jaguar concept, rebodied by somebody I don't know who. It's got two windscreen wipers on the back window, which I like and also I think it was actually designed by Liam Gallagher because it is called Supersonic you've been listening to Gareth Jones on speed as we get overexcited about all the cars here and I'm now going to go and spend some time with the Peugeot Proxima and if you want to know what that looks like you have to do a web search he was Zog goodbye he was Richard goodbye and this was Gareth Jones at the festival of Gareth Jones on speed in the sunshine We often finish Gareth Jones on Speed with some music and this episode is no different. Here's a few minutes of the music of race cars recorded going up the hill here at Goodwood. Stay with it because I've saved the very best to last. However, we'll start with the sound of the astonishing MTT Street Fighter, a motorbike equipped with a Rolls-Royce Allison gas turbine. Yes, a jet engine from a helicopter on a bike. Bonkers. Enjoy. Mark Janay in the Ferrari F60 from 2009. <laughs> Another F1 car coming here. That was the Mercedes W2, Brendan Hartley driving it. was Bwemi in the Red Bull RB7 here comes a Caterham one more F1 car I wonder what it's going to be 
was Groschon in a Lotus Renault R30. Last year's car, I think. That was the Maserati 250F, Fangio's car. That was a Lotus 78, possibly. 79. A BRM P57. That was a, an old classic Lotus, I think. Not sure which one. Oh. That was one of the greatest race cars of all time. The Lotus Cosworth 72, the John Player Special. Here comes Richie Ginther's Honda. Here comes the W196, is that Sterling driving it? That was the 1955 W196 and it was Sir Sterling driving it. Doesn't get better than that. That was a late 60s, early 70s Ferrari. The 312BB. That was the car we all call the snake pit. That Ferrari had that convoluted exhaust tubing. Amazing. litre six cylinder Sunbeam Indianapolis and that was being driven properly going up that hill brilliant Julian Mazoub driving it that was the Lotus gas turbine car footing its way along oh boy the Audi R18 e-tron quattro that was the XJR9 the shortcut jag Toyota 030. That was the Toyota GT1 with massive amounts of smoke coming out one of the exhausts. That was Anthony Davidson in the Toyota. Followed by our check again. Circuit check. 
was a display of McLarens that went past from the old Can-Am cars to the current MP4-12C Can-Am edition. And there was the 2008 McLaren F1 car in there just before the end as well. Gorgeous. That was an MP4-4, I think. Senna's, yeah, Honda. I said I'd save the best to last, and here it is. Uh, you might want to turn your headphones down a little bit for this one. I don't know exactly what it is, other than it was the most dramatic thing up that hill on that day. It's a motorcycle dragster. Full respect to the drag bike. See pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>